0: Hello everyone, welcome to Voice of the Wild, a weekly podcast initiative by Naturalist Foundation. This is the third episode airing on six June 2020. With this podcast, we bring you closer to the world of wildlife conservation, scientific research and government environmental policies. I am Vanishi Naik and along with me I have myself, Anjali
1: Devadhi.
2: And I am Anurag Karikar. Today in this episode 3 of the podcast, we have some really interesting topics lined up for you. First, we'll be taking a look at Sundarbans which was recently hit by a cyclone. We'll find out how the wildlife over there is doing and has the mangrove system of Sundarbans uh, helped in reducing the impact of cyclone. At the same time, we'll be taking a look at how uh, climate change has been increasing the number of cyclones and also making them stronger. Then, we'll also ponder whether these cyclones and the climate change have some roots in the recent outbreak of locusts in the northern states of India, how much damage these locusts have costed India, At the same time, what uh, measures are really good to tackle with these locusts. Then we'll go to the South India and discuss the infrastructure project that is Hubli to Ankola railway line that has been planned. As this uh, railway line cuts through many forests, we'll have to look into whether the the cost and the damage that uh, it creates to the wildlife and ecosystem is really necessary and is it really important for development. Then further, we'll take some interest into the tiger, which is our national animal. And look into some studies uh, for the tiger corridor which has been done in Mark Savantwadi. And also look into why the NTCA, uh, which funds for uh, tiger conservation in India, has reduced its funding by 15%. What impact will it have on tiger conservation and uh, the tiger tourism that supports many people in the rural India. And while talking about uh, the free-ranging wild animals of India, we'll not forget uh, those in the zoos. We'll see how the animals in the zoos are doing during the lockdown period and what different initiatives the zoos have been taking throughout India uh, to help the animals that they are protecting and caring for. Further, we'll also look into a discovery of a new uh, species of dragonfly actually found in the urban areas of India and see what role citizens play into discovery and research of new animals in the wildlife world. And then finally, we'll take a look at the fires that are affecting the forest of Uttarakhand. How has the wildlife in those areas been impacted? And what we see today on the social media, is it exact representation of what is happening? Or is it a bit of exaggeration? Are these fires really very damaging to the ecosystem of Uttarakhand? And uh, we'll look into the truth of what's happening over there. So, for all this interesting insight and much more, Keep tuned and listen uh, t- t- till the end and find out what's happening in the world of wildlife in India.
0: Let's start with the recent disaster that struck the Bay of Bengal a few days back. It was a horrifying experience for our country mates, especially during this lockdown and COVID-19 situation. The disaster took place in the West Coast, which is very disturbing and destructive with many lives and properties lost. The Cyclone Amphin, as we all know, was a super cyclone to hit the Bay of Bengal almost after 100 years. The Cyclone Amphin is a type of tropical cyclone which has fast blowing storms and a low pressure center. The low pressure center when moves over the land causes high intensity storm surges, inland flooding, high waves, wind gusts and very heavy rain. We all might know that the Cyclone Amphen was a Category 5 cyclone. And some say that the consequence would have been even worse if it wasn't for the Sundarbans. So what are these Sundarbans? They literally translate to beautiful forests. Lying in the delta of Ganga, Brahmaputra and Meghna. it consists of around 1, forty thousand hectares of mangrove forest. It is one of the largest in the whole world. It is split between Bangladesh and India, where India consists of around 40% of these forests. This forest is a home to many threatened species of the world. The forest consists of around 260 species of birds, estuarine crocodiles, Indian pythons and gangetic dolphins. But the best of all are the Bengal tigers, which are the only tigers that can survive in mangrove forests successfully. The vast forest has helped reduce the intensity of the cyclone to a great extent. The trees helped to reduce the 9-feet tidal surges, whereas the numerous creeks that form in the Sundarbans acted like a shock absorbent. A 2013 study of mangroves in Florida estimated that mangrove forests could reduce the effects of Category 5 storms to the intensity of a Category 3 storm. Mangroves are also more effective when the storm is more violent. A series of studies in the early 2000s discovered that mangroves with an average height of 6 to 10 meters could shorten the cyclone waves by 60%. Their roots form a complex interweave just about the soil. Together, these trees, trunks, they all work like speed breakers to slow the tides. But what about the situation in the forest itself? There are many poor villages and tribes living here, which depend a hundred percent for their livelihood on livestock and agriculture. The damage was huge here. In small villages like Ranganbelia, the human life was completely distorted. In fact, Ranganbelia was one of the most affected ones in the neighboring villages. When spoken about the same to the villagers, they replied with sad emotions and cried for their bad fate. Their houses were completely destroyed by the wind or even almost submerged in the water. They said that the cyclone had been a new normal for them and they have accepted it as a part of their lives and their bad fate. Anand Mundal cried about losing his only land that was three bighas in this cyclone. He has now been living with his family in the local school which is like a disaster management relief centre. Another villager said that he had lost all his land in the past cyclones before this and now has lost his only hope that was his house. The villagers said that they have seen many cyclones over the years since childhood but never seen something this destructive. They lost their farmland to the salinity of the water, which can now not be revived for many many years. That means that the villagers will be left without any income from their farmlands for many years now. The Sundarbans have saved the whole west coast many times before this. Even after the cyclone Bulbul and Alia, though the Sundarbans were destroyed and affected badly, there was a lot of saving done by these villagers. Talking about the animal life, there hasn't been much news about the animals and not much proper data has been available yet. For now, there have not been many large numbers of animal deaths reported in these areas. Even though cyclones have made many destructive situations in the past, nature always finds a way to protect the land inhabitants. But how long until the destruction gets higher than acceptable, especially now that these cyclones are getting stronger than ever? Let's hear Anjali talk about a few reasons for stronger cyclones. Now that we
1: talk about cyclones that are stronger than ever, why not discuss why the cyclones and typhoons are getting so destructive? Whenever there are any cyclones, hurricanes or typhoon, we have to ask if it has anything to do with man-made climate change. Could climate change be fueling the history-making nature of these storms? Well, Hurricanes, Cyclones and Typhoon are all types of Tropical Storm. They are basically the same thing but are given different names depending on where they appear. We know that humanity's carbon footprint has shifted the baseline condition of the climate. The context in which every weather event takes place. But trying to isolate the human influence from everything else that is going on can really be hard especially for hurricanes. So, what happens in tropical storms? Air rises quickly when it is heated by warm seawater. As the air cools down, again it is pushed aside by more warm air rising below it. This cycle causes strong wind. Cyclones are getting stronger and potentially more deadly as the world warms. Researchers say it's due to an increase in the sea surface temperature where tropical cyclones form. Hurricanes are driven by the transfer of heat from the sea to the air through evaporation. Cyclones are getting stronger and potentially more deadly as the world warms. Researchers say it's due to an increase in the sea surface temperature where tropical cyclones form. Hurricanes are driven by the transfer of heat from the sea to air through evaporation. The storm's maximum possible wind speed or its potential intensity depends in part on how warm the ocean is. Generally speaking, the warmer the water temperature, the more heat energy is available and higher the potential for tropical cyclones to develop. So, it's reasonable to assume that as humans continue to release planet warming greenhouse gases, the likelihood of tropical cyclone activity increases. Strong storms are getting stronger and all thanks to warmer oceans. The warmer oceans extend beyond just the surface, going hundreds of meters deep, allowing plenty of ocean heat content for hurricanes to use for fuel. As our climate warms, we are experiencing higher storm surges and record rainfall during cyclone season, which is also why these storms are becoming more destructive and costly. So, why do cyclones bring more rain in warmer climate? Evaporation intensifies as temperature rises and so does the transfer of heat from ocean to the air. As the storm travel across warm oceans, they pull in more water vapor and heat. That means stronger wind, heavier rainfall and more flooding when the storms hit land. This phenomenon is made worse by sea level rise which is triggered by human-caused global warming as warmer ocean water expands and land ice melt. Thus, higher sea level can push more water inland during hurricane-related storm surges. Slower-moving hurricanes are becoming more common in a warmer climate and the rate of intensification of the storms is increasing. The wind that steers hurricanes move more slowly in a warmer climate because... Warmer oceans transfer more heat to the air and heat fuels storm. Storm gets more intense. The hurricanes of the future will be wetter. Heavy precipitation events from other types of storms have been increasing and should continue to increase. This entire means global warming worsens everything. But it's not our destiny to hurt ourselves like this. It depends on what we choose to do now. We could rethink our infrastructure and regulations to minimize the damage. But unless we are cutting our carbon emission and shifting the world to clean energy, it's just going to get worse. Cyclones are not the only natural disaster that are getting more and more disastrous due to climate change and anthropological activities. Let's hear Anurag talk about the recent locust attack that happened in India.
2: Yes, it's difficult to find anyone today who has not heard about the recent locust attack that happened in the northern states of uh, India. These locusts came all the way from Iran to Pakistan and then uh, made their way to Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, Gujarat and Maharashtra. And they gave a really huge scare to even uh, cities like Mumbai where they did not actually turn up. But the fear in the people was so much that they were already cautious and curious and uh, were defend themselves against these locust swarms. So let's find out what these locusts are. So in the beginning, I'll give a short explanation. Basically, locusts are nothing different from actually grasshoppers. Now, you have seen grasshoppers everywhere. It's not a very rare thing to see a grasshopper every time in the monsoons. whenever you're walking through. The grass, you will see a grasshopper hopping. But then why are these grasshoppers so voracious and so uh, dangerous? So basically, these grasshoppers are no longer no common, normal grasshoppers that you see in these grasslands during the monsoons. These grasshoppers have changed. They have transformed from usual grasshoppers to something that we call locust. Now these uh, are actually transforming, like a pokemon that you would see, they have actually evolved into something different and this evolution or change rather evolution will not be a correct word but this change happens because of uh, environmental conditions you see what happens is these grasshopper eggs are laid inside the ground they are uh, there in, in the soil and uh, they wait for the proper timing they just don't uh, pop out when they, uh, they are ready to hatch they actually wait for the perfect moment for them to come out and that's usually the monsoon the proper yearly cycle of monsoon works very well with these because when there is monsoon these uh, uh, these grasshoppers are ready to come out and uh, because of the monsoon there is also a, a lot of amount of fresh uh, leaves, grass and uh, vegetation that can support these numbers of grasshoppers coming out but even you have recently found out that uh, the rains are getting more and more sporadic uh, they are ununiform and when they they sometimes come during a very awkward time during summers or during winters when these rains are not expected so what happens this rain is just enough to trigger the uh, the hatching of all these grasshoppers but these grasshoppers have no vegetation to feed on so what do they do they go towards a pond or a lake or swam uh, travel and march towards the smaller pockets of vegetation that are still leftovers and what happens is all these grasshoppers are getting together and they have come in close contact now in these grasshoppers they have got a very uh, unique evolutionary adaptation to face uh, any of these climatical or uh, environmental conditions because uh, if they do not know a proper way to deal with it what will happen is that they will uh, uh, they can their entire population can die off because if they do not get the food enough and they are not able to get the food that they require they will not be able to sustain their uh, later on populations so what happens is when all these uh, grasshoppers are coming together they are closer to each other when they have close contact with each other there is a chemical reaction that happens on or hormonal reaction that ha- uh, happens in these grasshoppers and they transform into a stage called gregory stage this gregory stage is when these uh, these forms develop a dif- uh, different colorations their appetite changes earlier usually grasshoppers tend to eat some specific type of food or some specific type of vegetation but now, because there is a reduction in vegetation, they do not have any options. They need to be able to eat whatever there is, that is available. So, in this stage, they are ready to eat anything from leaves to fruits to grains. So, they are very voracious. At the same time, they can uh, pounce upon anything that they find. At the same time, they develop wings. Because uh, as long as they are able to only marsh, they cannot access the locations or they cannot access the food which are location at the, which they are right then. These grasshoppers then later on develop wings and they are ready to march upon and uh, go to locations where the vegetation is still there. And as the summer uh, is still going on and that's usually when irrigation and because our crops not affected by the seasons and we have got crops even growing during the summers, our crops are the obvious choice of meal for these locust swarms. Now let me explain you guys that locust atta- uh, attacks is not a very simple or s- inconvenience when it comes to environment. This is one of the one very major problems that the entire society, humanity, and uh, wildlife uh, faces. To give some perspective, this has one of been one of the largest uh, locust invasions in India since nineteen ninety three. And these kind of attacks have been happening all over the, uh, the world, it's not just limited to India or Pakistan, this is just one example which has come very close to the home, that's why we have noticed. But these pro- kind of problems are, ha- are happening all throughout Africa, Australia and many different places. The said, these animals are ready to eat anything that they find in their path and usually the, uh, our crops are the first and the most easiest target for them. And this creates a very big uh, food security. As I explained, all this happens during a period when that entire location is already already facing issues due to an un- unfortunate or sudden rainfall. Or usually, it's some uh, mostly cyclones that causes this kind of rainfall. And what happens is th- these lands are already facing problems with uh, floods and other issues. And at that time, when their food security is already affected, these locusts come up as the second wave of uh, problem and uh, this uh, increases uh, the intensity of the problems these countries and places are facing. And these swarms don't just ravage whatever they find, they are also actively breeding because these are the breeding stage of those grasshoppers and as I explained you, this entire big transformation is actually a survival instinct. They want to survive in the difficult environmental conditions. So they are ready to reproduce at a very fast speed which is usually 16,000 times. The uh, earlier population that they had. So that's how, uh, uh, that's the speed that these uh, uh, organisms grow with. And this problem is not something that even the nature or uh, the animals or the wild animals have been able to figure out and uh, to manage with. Because what happens, there is no way to predict this particular uh, uh, attack of locust forms. It's very, very erratic. That's why even UN has declared it uh, one of the uh, most menacing uh, pest uh, species in the world. You already already have seen reports of how devastating these uh, organisms have been, and there have been a lot of documentation. But let me give you an idea of how troubling this is, because uh, the farmers that are in, uh, in uh, that are facing these animals can do very less. They have only disparate measures like banging utensils or playing loud music and making just noise or waving some some cloth. And just imagine, this is something that they can only do in the day, but at night. They have nothing. These grasshoppers are not going to take a break. They are not going to go to sleep. These grasshoppers keep eating uh, the crops even during the night. And there's very less thing or very few things that these people can do. at la- As a last resort, the- to take revenge from these animals or these organisms uh, uh, to what, de- what devastation that they have created uh, for their crops, the people have to either uh, uh, put poisons and toxins in, in their farms or uh, pesticides or else just light their entire crop on fire. The situation for these farmers is totally lose lose. The UN uh, Food and Agriculture Organization and also the governments in many of these places do understand that locust is a very big problem. Unfortunately, I must say in my personal opinion fi- uh, putting fire to these farms is the only good op- option because when you are uh, putting pesticides in these fields all these uh, uh, grasshoppers that are dying are becoming food for the predators that usually eat them and this causes bioaccumulations of toxins and it kills further the predators that would actually help you decrease the number of uh, these grasshoppers and let me explain you guys i have already told you that these grasshoppers the number of these grasshoppers can increase very easily it's very difficult to stop them from uh, propagating. By doing this repeatedly, by putting toxins and pesticides in these fields, you are only decreasing the number of predators, but the attack of grasshoppers will continue. And in the end, it's not just the, uh, the uh, animals uh, who are affected, but also the people because these pesticides are very highly toxic and the exposure can uh, lead to many different ill effects. People who live in the vicinity, who drink waters, uh, uh, water, Uh, from the rivers close by or the irrigation system close by so it can have many menacing effects later on also now that you understand the entire situation and I know that you already knew about this you must have read in many different articles that have been speaking about it now uh, but let me tell you something very very crucial now let's come to the main point now what And be done to reduce the situation. Because this situation is harmful for the entire ecosystem as well as the people. People are affected tragically in this particular scenarios. And uh, to give a context, this actually, the the swarm that we uh, we have faced right now has actually come all the way from Western Africa. So now it's very, very clear that this local problem is not a national problem. It's actually a global problem. And the cause of the, uh, the only main cause of this is climate change now climate change how is it a a cause for this because climate change has been created uh, creating a lot of freak phenomena we this year saw two cyclones in india one hitting bengal and another hitting very recently mumbai and not only this you have observed rains coming in summers you have seen rains in winters and long past uh, the monsoon time it is not just fun uh, to have rains but actually this is what is exactly causing the locust phenomena that these animals are forced to come out at a a time when they are not supposed to and they they themselves do not want to be in that particular situation and the drive to just survive is what uh, what converts these grasshoppers into locusts and when uh, these animals have uh, no option but to survive they have to feed on voraciously on any crop that they find so it's really really very important that we uh, to, uh, now really focus on the problems of climate change and try to realize how badly or how uh, we are already in the stage where climate change is really impacting us. And the later we understand this and try to take some precautionary measures and try to reverse this entire change, it's going to be too late. We have to start acting now and start talking about this, discussing with our friends and family and explaining and we have got a brilliant example over here. We have been talking about how climate change is going to affect, affect humans. But it's always usually very difficult to understand uh, these impacts. It's usually indirect uh, impacts. It has caused wars. It has caused uh, a lot of uh, discrimination in many of the regions. But over there, these examples, uh, it's very difficult to understand from these examples. But this locust example is very, very simple. It's very, very easy to understand. And I really request all of you guys to take this example to actually talk and open a conversation with a person who may not be believing in climate change or doesn't believe in uh, the problems that global warming is causing and actually have, start a conversation how these both things actually impact them on their food and uh, it might be the very reason why they may not have food on the their plate in, uh, in the near future. So... Even though when all this is happening and we are seeing the examples firsthand, it's really sad to see how uh, government officials and the people, it's not just the government, but uh, government works on the demands of the people. It's very sad to see how people are not still understanding that this is truly really the time to actually be more and more careful towards our environment and really do each and every little thing that can be done to protect and preserve what we have. Now further the on to my colleague.
0: Yes, and the Hubli- Ankola Railway Line Project proposed by the Karnataka government is a great example of the kind of destruction that affects not only the environment but us human beings too, just in the name of development. The railway project connection between Hubli and Ankola was introduced in the Railway Budget of 1997-1998. It was given clearance by B.S. Yajurappa at State Wildlife Board meeting held in Bangalore. Principal chief conservator says that this project is not only important for the development of the area, but also for the employment of the people living around the area. However, this project was rejected on the basis of environmental problems by various organizations including Wilderness Club, Central Empowered Committee, the National Tiger Conservation Authority and the National Board of Wildlife. A member of the state wildlife board called MS Soumya Reddy resigned from her post as a mark of protest. Many environmentalists have also filed reports against the project. This project includes felling and destruction of around 1.5 to 2 lakh trees, just to lay down the railway line of 164.44 kilometres, also 327 bridges will be built in the eco-sensitive zone. Around 12 stations and 34 tunnels of 3.4 km each will be constructed under this project. The project may take around 8 to 10 years and can cost around 3,750 crores and this was only on the basis of a study conducted in 2018 which was around 2 years back. The railway line will be aligned between Kali Tiger Reserve and Bengti Conservation Reserve. 80% of the line will cut through the Western Ghats and around 12% through Kali Tiger Reserve. The line will pass closer to Dandeli Hornbill Conservation Reserve which is located in the buffer region of Anshi Dandeli Tiger Reserve that is around only 5-6 to 6 kilometers from the track. The Western Ghats are biologically sensitive and are rich in biodiversity. It includes around 29 species of mammals, 256 species of birds, 80 species of reptiles and 50 species of butterflies. Many of them are listed in the IUCN Red Book listed species as protected under the Wildlife Conservation Act. Many of these animals are also just endemic to the Western Ghats. Important species include tiger, sloth bear, Indian pangolin, etc. This track intersects with a elephant movement corridor, whereas other railway line of this area already witnesses wildlife death due to train hits. Around 400 humans have died already because of elephant-human conflict and around 1,500 elephants have died in the past 15 years because of railway incidents and accidents. This project will have direct impact on the rainfall pattern and the climate of India as Western Ghats has a very important role to influence the climate of our country. At present, six different railway lines cross the Western Ghats, including an ADB-funded road. State Wildlife Board had given alternative rail route which included felling of trees in 6-7 to seven hectares, But the government cancelled the proposal. Major occupation of the people in that area is agriculture, which can't be abundant. Also, 8 to 10 years of this project completion could make permanent encroachment in the undisturbed guards by the labourers. And this could lead to an all-new case of wildlife conflict and exploitation of the area. But it's not all bad news. There are plans of studying the Tiger Corridor around the doda Mark Savantwadi region and we are hoping for a good news that would be in favor of everyone.
1: Today, I will tell you the whole story how at last the doda Mark Savantwadi Belt gets the attention it always needed. The Union Environment Ministry in a draft notification released on October 3, 2018, proposed the declaration of 56,825 square kilometre or 37% of the Western Ghat as an ESA, but left out the 38 km into 10km forest of Dodamark Savantwari Belt in Maharashtra, Sindhadur District in the classification. While the proposed Western Ghats ESA for Maharashtra is spread across 17,340 square kilometer, this is the second time this corridor has been left out after a similar draft notification in 2015. Dodamark Savantwadi Belt lies in the heart of biodiversity hotspot, that is our Western Ghats. The area is a source of perennial water bodies. It is an integral part of the Sahyadri Konkan Wildlife Corridor. The wildlife corridor, home to tigers, leopards, elephants, sloth bears, civet, pangolins, several resident and migratory bird species and even the Indian giant squirrel, Maharashtra State Animal, connects the Radhanagri Wildlife Sanctuary in Kolhapur and Maharashtra to Bhimgarh Wildlife Century in Karnataka. The State Forest Department confirmed the area has 22 to 25 tigers and the recent record of a family of four elephants. Declaring an area ESA puts restriction on mining, quarrying, thermal power plants, setting up of industries, and construction. Not including the Dodamak Savantwadi Forest, an important elephant and tiger corridor along the Maharashtra-Goa border in the ecologically sensitive area ESA in the Western ghat will expose them to the threat of mining projects. Madhav Gargil, ecologist who headed the Western Ghat Ecology Export Panel formed by the Ministry of Environment and Forest in 2010, confirmed the mining mafia have been eyeing the land for years. They had quoted petitions from Gram Sabhas across 25 villages in Dodamak, Savantwadi that had passed resolution asking their area to be declared ecologically sensitive. Currently, such democratic processes have been completely sabotaged and the current process of declaration is improper. Eighteen months after it was first proposed, the Maharashtra Forest Department has issued the final approval to the Wildlife Institute of India, WII, Dehradun, to assess whether the Dodamak Savantwadi Taluka of Sindhudurk District are wildlife corridors that need to be conserved. The state chief wildlife warden said the total grant for the proposal was Rs. 83 lakh and the study is expected to commence soon. There has been issued the final section for this project recently wherein WII will be identifying the potential corridors for the movement of elephants and tiger in this region. The project was proposed in December 2018. Issues related to funding, expanding the scope of work and sanctioning the revised proposal led to the delay. Of the 83 lakh, they have already paid 58 lakh for the project. The recruitment process is underway, but due to lockdown, it is getting more delayed. The approval comes at the time when environmentalists are upset with the state for leaving out the entire Dodamark, Taluka and 9 of 13 villages off. Savantwari Taluka from the final Western Ghat ESA declaration. It was supposed to begin by May end. WII will be deputing two scientists. They will map the corridor and check whether villages in these two talukas are falling within the corridor or not and thus whether they need to be declared as a part of the ESA and also be assessing the human disturbance to this corridor. Previous petitions highlighted that the corridor is home to many wildlife species, as already mentioned. The Forest Department confirmed that over the past five years, transient movement of close to 25 tigers have been observed at the corridor, while an elephant family of five resides there. And this is also enough to consider them as eco-sensitive zone. This pandemic makes us know that conserving biodiversity zones are really very important to us. So now that we have learnt about the plans to study Tiger Corridors in the Dodamark Savantwadi Belt, there's a little bit of bad news. Let's talk about a small negative impact of the lockdown on the Tiger Conservation Plan.
2: Yes Anjali, there has been a 15% decline in the funds provided for Tiger Conservation in our country today. Now, before we dive into this deep, let me just quickly recap the tiger situation in India. Okay, so as everyone knows, the tiger is a national animal and the species of tiger we have in India is the Bengal tiger. For many uh, years before, we have been steadily losing the number of tigers in India. From lakhs to we came to a situation where we had just 1000 or so number of tigers. So in the wake of this, uh, India launched the project Tiger. The main objective of this uh, project was to increase the number of uh, existing tigers and to create and maintain good forest as a habitat for these animals. Under this project we created a lot of tiger reserves throughout India and today we have over 50 uh, tiger reserves uh, situated in uh, total 18 uh, Indian states. This uh, uh, project has not only really increased the number of tigers in India but also uh, has helped to uh, increase the number of many different animals as tiger uh, becomes a keystone species in many of these habitats. And so this uh, and that tiger project is led by the National Tiger Conservation Authority of India aka NTCA. So NTCA is the authority that manages the conservation uh, of these habitats day-to-day monitoring and also developing uh, various uh, models of uh, economic development for the local people and uh, create a more coexistence model uh, in the people and wildlife in these areas. And to do all this work in the various states, it needs funds. And this funds is also provided by the NTCA. The NTCA itself gets its funding from the center, uh, from the Ministry of Environment, Forest and Con- uh, Climate Change. The ministry unfortunately couldn't provide the funds that uh, the NTCA needs for this year, which was uh, supposed to be about 280 crores because of which NTCA has made the decision to cut the funding of for uh, each state by uh, about 15%. This is a bad news for all the tiger reserves because already the tiger reserves and uh, ecotourism model in these places has been hit heavily. As many of you guys know that summer is the peak season uh, where, uh, where tourists from across the world come to India to look at tigers and uh, associated biodiversity in these tiger reserves. Jim Corbett, which is in Uttarakhand, earns about 10.5 crore rupees every year from uh, tourism. But that entire amount approximately, but due to the lockdown situation, all that revenue was lost. Now, it's uh, very important to understand that tourism in these places is not purely an economic. Uh, many of these uh, resorts and lodges and the tourism uh, instrument itself helps in uh, in conservation of the tigers and supports the local population of even the peoples and the tribals and the rurals in these areas the economies of uh, the locals of these areas have been shifted from animal uh, and forest dependent field of ecotourism so and reduction into the support of these tiger reserves doesn't just impact the, the tigers and the wildlife but also impacts the people who have shifted their economies from Uh, being forest and animal-dependent and farm-dependent, actually being invested in ecotourism. Directors of many tiger reserves uh, raise the question whether they will be able to develop the infrastructure for the next years and maintain the ongoing projects uh, because of this economic crisis. So even though the uh, the pandemic has really impacted our country uh, on a very large scale and throughout the country, uh, we must understand Project Tiger doesn't just help uh, the tiger and the City that comes under its uh, umbrella but also the rurals and uh, tribal India. So I hope the needs of these tiger reserves are met in some way or the other. At the same time, I would request all the listeners of this podcast to consider actually traveling to these tiger reserves during later half of this year. As uh, traveling to the foreign countries is going to be a problematic situation, we should actually consider uh, traveling local and visiting these tiger reserves if and when they are declared safe to visit and uh, help the local tourism and, uh, and visit these tiger reserves and the wildlife sanctuaries to help the local economies of these regions. Now so further we'll also take a look at the animals and biodiversity that are in the zoos and not just in the reserves and uh, sanctuaries. More on that uh, by my colleague
0: The lockdown in its own is getting many positive and negative changes in our lives and I completely agree with Anurag. Not just humans but even the wildlife around us is experiencing a huge change. Today let's talk about the animal world. Not about the ones in the wild but the ones present in zoological parks. A lot of wildlife lovers may not have a very great impression about these zoos But let me tell you, among the many evils, there are certain good ones too. These zoological parks help generate a great amount of revenue for our country. They help in spreading awareness about threatened and endangered animals among their visitors. They also play an active role in conservation. The lockdown has been having a lot of positive and negative changes in the life of these zoos. Let's talk about some positive changes. The animals are now stress-free because of the lowered population of humans around these animals and the humans consisting of only the animal handlers and the zoological managers. The animals are chirping and making sounds way more than ever. The solitary animals now are less aggressive. The leopards and tigers have been seen roaming way more calmly and having a great response to their animal handlers. The animals are way more playful now. They have been seen responding to their enrichments better than ever. Jahangir Ali, an animal handler from the Assam State Zoo, has said that he can now spend way more time with his caretaking animals, Golden Langur family. The family has also accepted him as one of their own. Recently, a video was posted of the mother Langur spending time to look for lice in his hair which is a great signal for social bonding in langurs. Let's talk about some negative impacts of the lockdown. There is a huge shortage of food. Nawab Wajid Ali Shah Zoological Garden has been experiencing this since the first day of lockdown. As the supply of animals for these zoo inmates has lowered, the zoo is facing a huge problem. They require around 200 kilograms of meat each and every day and the zoo is now forced to check for frozen or white meat, that is chicken meat, for these animals. And the animals are not happy with the feed that they are receiving. Also, there are financial constrictions in the zoo now that there are no ticket sales. We agree that many of these zoos are handled by the central government and thus the Money is not an issue. But for some zoos that are not handled by the government, they all depend on the ticket income of the zoo, which now because has lowered, the zoo is facing financial constrictions. Nawab Wajid Ali Shah Zoological Garden says that they need at least 35 lakh worth of food for these animals per month. And around 55 lakh goes in paying the salary of these animal handlers and zoo workers. Also, some of the zoos are experiencing shortage in storage for this food. Even if the meat is available, it cannot be made available every day. So, a week or a month load of supply has to be stored in the zoo itself, which is very difficult as they do not have that much availability of storage space. So let's talk about some measures that these zoological parks are taking. Patna Zoo has been providing a great amount of enrichment for their animals. The chimpanzees are socially responding to the human handlers. They have been cleaning and disinfecting the park every day, Because there was this tiger at New York Zoo that had contracted coronavirus by one of their handlers. Given the state and the country has given strict instructions for these animals to be living happily. Many parks have switched to virtual tours of their zoological gardens through apps and websites. And these are all available for free. Banir Ghatta, a zoo in Bangalore, has been starting adoption facilities for their animals, and this adoption is not like the ones for pet animals, where we adopt the animal and get them home. We just have to pay for their well-being and food supply. Some of the costs required is a three thousand five hundred for king cobra per year, and five thousand for jungle cats and macaques per year. This amount goes up to 1 lakh for giraffes and Bengal tigers. So there are a lot of ways that we could help the animals just by staying at home and we really need to look into it. Now that we have spoken about these animals, let's talk about a common dragonfly that went unnoticed up until now after its discovery.
1: A new species of dragonfly that is endemic to the lowland of Konkan in Maharashtra has been profiled in a study published on 20th May 2020. So, today I will be talking about the new dragonfly species described. The dragonfly that got described to science is Konkan rock dweller, found commonly in mumbai Thane region. How come we just noticed it? It is because of its similarity between one more dragonfly, which is Granite Ghost. Bred in a konkan rock dweller has been discovered by dragonfly enthusiast and photographer Dutta Prasad Savant and researcher Shantanu Joshi, whose paper has been published in journal Zootexa. The boat dragonfly granite ghost and konkan rock dweller have few distinct differences in abdomen and pattern of wind, which makes them into two different species of same genus. Now, Talking about the story, how they discovered this dragonfly. Dattaram is a doctor and has keen interest in wildlife and loves photography. He photographed this dragonfly and showed to Shantanu saying it is a different species than granite ghost. And then they started collecting samples across Maharashtra. They studied the samples thoroughly and found it's a new species to the science. So, as we can see here, a person, not a scientist, due to his observation, helps in finding a totally new species. Here comes the role of common citizens. We should practice citizen science and keep observing nature around us and report it to many open forums. One for dragonflies, odonates of India. Here, everyone posts picture for identification and data is collected and we can have whole database of population of odonates. One such story is posting of picture on the website we were able to find a new species of dragonfly. So, let's keep our eyes always on nature and keep learning and observing from them. Moving forward, why and how are dragonfly important to us? So, dragonfly are very specific to location, just like birds. They are fine near specific water habitat, some near waterfalls, some loving shady areas, some fine near creeks, and some also near gutters. And hence, they are used to know about the water quality of the place. Isn't that awesome? Without any high-tech technology or test, we can primarily know the quality of water just by observing the dragonflies around them. Hence, scientists are trying to study more on them and turn them as ecological indicator. The diet of dragonfly includes insects and larvae of mosquito which helps in pest control and reduces the mosquito population and hence chances of many diseases. Thus, every animal has its own importance. Removing one from the ecosystem can create havoc in the whole ecosystem. And moving forward, we will clear all the myths and doubts about the recent forest fires.
2: Well, social media holds a lot of power today. With just a click of a button, you can share something like you, which you'd like or dislike amongst your friends and family members. Many environmentalists and nature lovers have used social media to help a cause and uh, to protest, and provide more information and discuss and debate about environmental issues on a, on a global forum. But the news and information that we get is usually for, fed to us by artificial intelligence. And this artificial intelligence cannot always uh, differentiate between facts and something that is false. The algorithms that are used by these uh, different social media services keep on uh, giving us something that we keep on liking and what we appreciate. So usually, a person who likes, uh, uh, who is concerned about environment and wildlife and uh, environmental concerns will always keep uh, keep on getting posts and information and news related to that particular topic. And many times, what happens is something that might be not as big or as a big deal because of the following and because of people's concern may blow out into something big and that's what exactly happened with the Uthaya fires. Now let me tell you already people have been very very sensitive about fires because last year we saw some really horrendous stuff like uh, the fires in Amazon rainforest, the uh, the bush fires in Australia which were some of the biggest fires uh, over the centuries and years and also in Bandipur Tiger Reserve uh, in Karnataka. So there have been a lot of fires which have been ravaging a lot of different forests and have we have lost a lot of tree cover. Global temperature rises. This concern keeps on rising year by year. This year, as uh, the temperature and the heat wave rise in the north, northwest, western and central India, we lost about 70 hectares of forest land in Uttarakhand uh, in just one or two months. Though today loss of any forest cover is actually a bit concerning, but actually this particular news is not actually that concerning. And here's I will tell you why uh, the forest fires in Uttarakhand is still is not a concern or a big deal for that matter. Hear me out till the end. So first of all, the fires that took place uh, this year were actually way less than uh, those that have been uh, uh, happening for the last couple of years. And uh, many of the photographs and the images that have been circulating in the social media feeds have been from the 2016 fires where we had a lot of loss in the utha current area. Not only that, but uh, the fires that we witnessed, were well, actually none of them were abnormal fire incident. Usually in many cases like uh, the fires in uh, RA or fires in uh, Amazon forest were something concerning not because they were just forest fires, but also because the... Uh, the Happening on this incidence of these fires in these wet and moist forest was a bit concerning and, and in many of the cases the sources w- Were found to be not natural also along with that as I discussed in uh, the locals issue We have been having sporadic rains So such sporadic rains have actually uh, in this case been helpful as they have helped manage the fire incidents in the last weeks now still the fact that uh, fires are less and are uh, less in comparison to the earlier year is may not sound as a legitimate uh, reason for just uh, fire being present and it's still a concern but let me explain you guys here uh, here is the, we get a point of about forest type uh, there are some forest or some type of forest for which uh, which a forest fire is something that is very very natural and happens in the natural ecosystem the forest in the Uttarakhand regions are more of the temperate kind of forest, which also have a lot of uh, pine and a uh, type of trees now these kind of uh, forests they have over approximately 30% of the forest have high to moderate vulnerability to forest fires and also the second and most important case that comes into this picture is in some cases fires are actually good for the forest for example uh, fires in these particular regions actually reduce the number of non-native species and give a chance to the more native species in these areas because the native species are usually well to deal with the fire conditions because as I said, fires in these regions are normal and are yearly occurrences. So many of these trees are adapted to grow and uh, to be able to deal with these fire conditions. Now also when uh, forest fire naturally uh, uh, happens in these kind of areas, it burns in patchwork patterns. Where you have some uh, some uh, areas which are called refugee forest where uh, the forest is more moist type and the more native and the uh, resistant uh, tree species are in these areas. That's where all the biodiversity and organisms, animals uh, go to and when these fires are turned down then the, these plants and animals are able to rehabilitate the uh, areas where the forest uh, fires have taken place and burned out an area. Because of this scenario and healthy exchange of genetic uh, material and also uh, the native uh, uh, native forests are strengthened and, and are benefited. The important case is that in many of these regions the forests are very very tall and uh, new newcomers and new plants do not get an opportunity to, uh, to grow up and become big. They need the sunlight that is necessary for this growth. So these fires many times open up the forest canopies and uh, give opportunities to the new plants. To grow up and uh, reach out in the sky and finally as i was speaking about evolution many of these plants are adapted to grow from damaged area of the trees and also uh, many of these pine uh, trees have actually got a system where these pine cones actually open uh, only after they feel a certain amount of heat and temperature because of that heat and temperature these pods burst out and the seeds get a uh, chance to uh, to pollinate and disperse uh, the seeds and uh, new plants can come out and as because after a a forest fire usually the the burnt organic material also provides as uh, and supplies as nutrients which is very very influential and beneficial for these new coming seeds in many of these forests a fire is actually good news but though all these forest fires have their advantages uh, as i told you earlier there are definitely concerns when it comes to fires because some uh, sometimes like the California fires and the fires in many other regions these fires can be very uncontrollable and can damage a lot of property and uh, the forest themselves but Uttarakhand is not a state where you need to be concerned about it because the Forest Department of Uttarakhand is a very vigilant organization they have got NASA satellites that uh, give them data and monitor the forest two times every day and give them the information that is required uh, to monitor the forest condition and uh, they are immediately inf- informed with pinpoint location about where the forest fires are and the response time of the forest department is also very very quick the forest fire response team of uh, the f- uh, forest department has been known to reach the lo- for- uh, fire location in, uh, in record time and douse the fire in, ma- in maximum over 2-3 to three hours so here you know, we really need to give credit where it's due And for a a state government which has been doing such a good job, uh, I forgot to mention that uh, the Uttarakhand uh, government has also taken a lot of initiatives when it comes to researching in the forest regions. And the recent documentation of the flora of the region has been really impressive where they have found out over 400 medicinal plants and also a lot of uh, endangered, rare and threatened species of trees and plants. So, here where the credit is due, we need to give and appreciate the work that the forest uh, department has been doing. And here we it's really important that we do not scare and discredit a department which has been doing a good job and still uh, more and more questions about it. Definitely, we should appreciate and where uh, the questions are necessary, we should ask them. But uh, it's uh, in today's time when we are fed uh, by the algorithm of different social media platforms, it's very important that we check and talk to the officials and find out what are the threats. Here, I very much appreciate the initiatives of Uttaragan Forest Department to come on Twitter and many different platforms and solve the questions and talk about the issue uh, and uh, re- and reassure the people that the forest fire situation in Uttarakhand is manageable and is not that very severe, and they have got it under handle. Though we are getting a lot of uh, bad and sad news when it comes to environment, we are seeing the effects of climate change global warming first hand. At the same time, we are also seeing some governments and uh, 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 and creating and, uh, and financing and sanctioning projects that actually are detrimental to the environment. We also see the forest departments like that of Uttarakhand, which are doing a really good job. So there is always a positive and negative, and we should appreciate what's good and keep uh, raising our voice and taking initiatives to protect the and conserve the environment that we have. Your concerns for forest fires are definitely valid, but uh, next time we need to check out what kind of forests are being burned. Whether the forest is burning due to natural causes or is it being uh, uh, burned due to uh, some man-made causes? What kind of forest is it? a temperate forest that is being bur- uh, that is burning or wet uh, wet forest or uh, like a rainforest that is has, that is facing the issue of forest fires also another concern is whether the uh, the fires are during summer winter or monsoon if those fires are happening in uh, in monsoons or some uh, or winters then it's really a concerning issue so let's up the curious inv- investigator in our, ourselves and uh, whenever we get uh, some of these news Try a bit uh, to find out what is the real situation and find out whether uh, these issues are really concerning or not.
1: So, we end today's episode here and we hope you enjoyed listening to us. If you really like this episode, please hit that like button and make sure to subscribe to stay updated. And don't forget to share this video. We would really appreciate your humble support on Patreon. Link is down in the description. Stay tuned. We will be back soon with new news covering all topics of environment. Thank you.